Welcome to another edition of Mormon Land. I'm Managing Editor Dave Noyce, and I oversee our faith coverage. I'm joined again by Senior Religion Reporter Peggy Fletcher Stack. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Dave. Well, with the world in the grips of COVID-19, which has claimed hundreds of thousands of lives, Mormon research historian Artis Partial has been posting photos and vignettes of Latter-day Saints who died during the previous pandemic, the split Spanish flu of 1918 to 1920, which claimed tens of millions. By doing so, she is putting a warm human face on what too often appears in history books as cold statistics. She joins us today to discuss why she has launched this project and what she has learned along the way. Artis, welcome back to Mormon Land. Thank you. Well, let's start for starters. Why did you start doing this? It actually started by accident. I have a Twitter account where I post little things, odds and ends of Mormon history, and I happened to put up a picture of a, a sister missionary who died of the flu. And it got so such good attention that I put up another one and then another one, and it just sort of snowballed from there. And it's found on your blog, keepapitchinin.org, correct? Yes, I archive all my tweets there. Right, right. So how do you find all these? What are your sources? You know, the newspapers from 1918 through 1920 have wonderful accounts. They, they have all these death notices that so-and-so died at this place in this time of influenza, and bingo, there's somebody for me to research there. Or all the obituaries that the small town papers posted will quite often include that account. But I also go through, I've been going through literally thousands of death certificates in Utah and Idaho, one at a time, looking at the cause of death. And when I find one, I check to see whether that person was LDS or not. Wow. And it goes from there. Wow. So, so did the obituaries uh, frequently back then in, in, in newspapers state that they, what they died of, influenza? Because that's something we've noticed not happening as much right now with the current pandemic. But right. They, yeah. What have you found on that? They did. They quite often will also tell that someone was unconscious for three days or that uh, somebody else in the house was ill with flu at the same time. That they they tell a lot more detail than a lot more hmm. personal detail than you expect to find today. Hmm. So that that makes it actually easy. I can search some of the databases for influenza and I, I run into all kinds of people that I haven't heard of before. Are those death notices uh, uh, open to the public? Are they searchable and all that? Yes, they are. Uh, there are several newspaper databases, one at the University of Utah that is freely available, uh, digital, digital newspapers. Oh dear, I can't even say, recall at the moment. Then there's a, pay, a, a paid database that I use, uh, newspapers.com, because it also includes newspapers from Idaho and Arizona and other heavily LDS areas. But yeah, they're just in the newspapers, just waiting for somebody to turn the page and find them. So as far as you know, there's no book that lists all the people you've found. No, no, absolutely not. The closest that comes is that we do have lists of World War I soldiers who died, and it will say they died of influenza or they were killed in action or whatever, but that, that's the closest that comes. It, it, it's easy enough to identify the soldiers, but not other people. Uh, are you seeing parallels with today's pandemic? 
You know, I do all the time. There, there, <laughs> there was a wonderful article about uh, the Brigham Young High School, well, Brigham Young College, it's called uh, that, in uh, Logan. Um, they shut down the schools just the same way that we do. And they printed in great detail their plan for completing the year. They were not going online, of course, but there were uh, details about mailing in assignments and then the teachers would sterilize the papers and mail them back. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that sort of thing. Wow. You see people that are, were complaining then about wearing masks. You see uh, the, the churches closed and theaters and so on. Uh, you see a lot of things that are the same. That they're, they're just such echoes of today. And it's, it's really kind of interesting. What about the the LDS church leaders response at the time, how does it compare to now? Um, in some of the details it differed. For example, they did not call the missionaries home the way they did this year. But in other cases, it's very similar. Uh, follow the instructions of your local health board, for example. The church did not issue a, a, a suspend meetings uh, statement whatever mm -hmm. but they did suspend meetings because they said follow the state health instructions which were if there's influenza in your town don't hold meetings mm -hmm. and, uh, and they supported so that there was nothing from the top suspending all meetings no uh, th there wasn't it, it, it's a, it happened as a practical effect um they did decide to close the temples the church maybe could have got away they actually had a debate the church may have been able to get away with holding some limited temple ceremonies but they decided to close those um in just the january of 1919 when other organizations were opening up again the church said we'll start holding meetings again but we will not hold any sunday schools we do not want our children brought together in, in groups like this so yeah, they, they did exercise caution and uh, had some specific concerns. And they, I, uh, they also um, canceled or postponed general conference, correct? They did, uh, ordinarily scheduled in April. They put it off until June. That was a highly anticipated conference because it was the first one after the death of uh, Joseph F. Smith and the installation of Heber J. Grant. And people were really looking forward to it. But the fact that they postponed it is quite significant. Yeah, no kidding. So, so artists, um, a, a, a lot of people are dealing with this and it's, it's been difficult, you know, uh, with the current conditions, you know, social distancing, some some people can't even interact with with loved ones you know other other than virtually like grandparents not being able to pick up their grandkids some really heartrending things and it's it's led to some mental health depression you know uh, despondency and one of the things they've advised is to kind of get away from this but your research is taking you right back into a world of a pandemic is this being therapeutic for you does it get you more depressed i'm just curious I have been in isolation myself since March 10th, and the first few weeks I had the same kind of response that so many people have, can't concentrate, can't sleep, can't get motivated to do anything. But for some reason, once I started this, it really did 
give me a reason for getting up in the morning. I know I'd been fretting over the COVID-19 dead and watching the thousands mount up, but I didn't know how to deal with that. I also had no way of finding out about individual deaths today. But by looking at the 1918 pandemic and being able to think of them as individuals with individual stories and the losses that their families went through, it kind of helped me get a grasp. It wasn't this nebulous, this awful thing. It was something that could be managed one person at a time just to remember the people that we lost. Have your followers found some of the same experiences? What have their comments been? Do you know, it has really been rewarding. People have been, that I've never heard of before, they, they found this somehow, have been sending me the names of their great aunts and great grandfathers and so on, because they want to have these, their people included as part of this memorial. There have also been several occasions when people have realized that someone was buried in a cemetery near them, and they have actually gone to the cemetery to find the grave. The first one that happened that way, and he's let me use his name before, so it's a young man named Logan who realized that there was a grave in the Springville Cemetery of Laura Bird Hales, a school teacher who had been born almost to the day, a hundred years before Logan was born, and he was is planning on becoming a school teacher. So he rode his bike out to that cemetery one evening just to say hello. That's the kind of thing that people are finding. They leave comments like, this seems important somehow. They don't quite know what they're feeling, but it's answering something. They, they've had the same impulse that I have, that we need to say these names again and think of people as individuals and not just numbers. Well, uh, speaking of not just numbers, how many have you found so far? <laughs> I, I've posted more than 700. I have another 100 on my desktop waiting to be posted. And I have not even begun to scratch the surface of the, the death certificates that are available, much less that, that there's a collection of records that I can only access at the Church History Library once it opens again. That, and that's going to be the only way I'll be able to find Latter-day Saints who died in the East or in England or the Southern States or so on. So I, I know I'm, I'm going to find hundreds and hundreds more once I can get to those records. I Do estimate we, it's, it's pretty rough, but my estimation is that we lost at least 5,000 Latter-day Saints during those two years. Wow. Wow. Um, when you think of that in terms of wards and stakes, you realize how, how much we, we lost. So tell us a few of their stories. Tell us your favorite ones or most unexpected or... Tell us some, share with some of the, some of the people. You know, they're all sad because I'm focusing on the end. I also try to, to list survivors so that we realize that, that it wasn't just a death. It, it affected entire families and entire generations. But recognizing that it's sad, I, I do still have some favorites. I, there are so many occasions when both a father and a mother died leaving young orphans. One of those is the case of uh, Levi Mortensen, who was a school teacher, and his wife, Thelma Smart Mortensen. They lived in Provo. They both died in November of 1918, and they had a, a, a daughter who was less than a year old. 
The reason that that one gets to me is that there is a photograph of this couple holding their daughter and the trees in the background are bare and they're both dressed in very warm coats. So you know it's already late in the season of 1918. This picture was taken days before they fell ill. There is, there are other cases. That what happened to their so daughter? Do you have any idea? I don't remember in this case. Sometimes the newspapers will say that a, a, a grandfather will be raising them. Other cases, I know that the children were adopted into multiple families. So they lost even their sibling relationship after that. So many times, you know, the, the, the flu primarily affected people in their 20s, although I have babies and I have people in their 90s that we lost as well. But the 20-somethings are the ones that are having children. And there are so many occasions when a mother gives birth and then dies that day. And, you know, she's used her last energy to bring that baby to the world, and then she's got nothing left to fight the flu. There's one that, that really gets to me from Yukon, Idaho, a mother named Dosha Lot Wolf. And the reason that I re keep going back to this one is that somebody in her family recorded the story and said, Dosha tried so hard to nurse him and save the little one. Ah. My uh, readers always want to know whether the babies lived or died. Her baby did. Other things that get to me are the numbers of medical people who died, and that, of course, is another echo today. We have doctors and nurses, both professional nurses and volunteer nurses, who caught influenza, presumably from their patients. One of them, again, because there's at the picture, is a 19-year-old nurse who uh, had been in training at LDS Hospital for a year. Elsie um, Thackeray and her picture has that little nurse's cap that they used to wear. She caught influenza from her patients and she died. One that I found just today was a professional nurse named Leonie Reeder from Brigham City. And the reason that, that she seems notable is that the newspaper published a letter from the first presidency. She was the one who had nursed, she was a private nurse and she had nursed Joseph F. Smith through his last illness. And they were mm. writing to her parents to say, we remember how kind she was and so on. So those kinds of things. I find people who are, are doing, I mean, the nursing, especially the, the, the volunteer ones, shows us a level of service that we can all admire but i'm thinking also of one um a man who who a, a young a teenage i think he was who died in uh severe county his entire family his parents and his siblings were all sick and they wanted him buried in lehigh where they had come from but they couldn't take him there so a neighbor volunteered and drove his his body up so he could be buried where the family wanted him. So, I mean, there, there's all kinds of accounts of people pitching in. I'm astonished sometimes by the loss that, of contributions that, that we know people would have made had they lived. Um, probably the greatest one that we know would have made a contribution, if I can find it here, there we go. Um, 
a man named Edward Haslam Walters. He was a professor at the Agricultural College in Logan, and he entered the service. And while he was in uh, France, he was working in a laboratory to develop uh, a fluid to rapidly replace blood loss to save lives on the battlefield. He took the influenza and he died. He had already published a number of articles in professional journals, and there's no reason to think that he would not have continued that throughout his life. So we lost whatever contributions he would have made. Um, there are a number of times when obituaries will note that people had musical skills. Uh, a farmer in southern Utah who was remembered by his neighbors, not necessarily because he was a farmer, but because he was a trumpet player. He played in the community band and that's what he was missed from. Another uh, uh, young lady in, in Utah County was remembered as being one of the, the, star, the musical stars of the community. And when I searched for her name, I found that she had sung uh, vocal solos so often for earlier funerals and for community events. They'd have a, a lecture and she would sing uh, as part of that program. These are people that we lost, things that didn't get done and tasks that, and blessings that would have come except the people were gone. And I keep remembering that is what is true today. The people who are, who are dying today would have made contributions. So um, artists, um, you, you talked about missionaries. They weren't summoned home necessarily, but you found missionaries dying out in the quote mission field, right? I think you even yes. found the, what well, is the documented the first sister missionary who died also yes. out there. Tell us a little bit about what you found about missionaries. I mean, do you have any sense of what the impact was overall on how many missionaries were lost or? I haven't counted up, but there, mm -hmm. there were, I'd say a dozen, give or take. Um, the ones who fell ill in the United States, quite often their families caught the next train to their mission field so that their mothers could nurse them. There was a, a one case when a missionary died in the field and they always, always, regardless of the pandemic, anytime a missionary died in the field, they didn't just ship the body back. They were escorted back by a fellow missionary. In this case, the missionary who escorted the flu victim back was his own sister who was a missionary. Wow. 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 That was Walter Anderson, and uh, it was his sister, Nora. They were from Arizona. And I, I also find cases where missionaries didn't necessarily die, but they rendered extraordinary service. In Tahiti, for example, the flu hit so hard that they could no longer bury all the, the local people who were dying. They were having to build fires on tops of hills. It was Latter-day Saint missionaries. <laughs> who went into the homes and brought the bodies back and uh, brought out little children who were left alone. And the service that those missionaries did is incalculable. The, the, um, the United States ambassador to Tahiti sent a letter uh, a few months after the, the pandemic was under control, thanking the church for the service of their missionaries. So, it's not only the victims, it, it's the service that they rendered that we should remember. Any, any general authorities die from this? 
No, although Apostle Joseph Merrill's son did die, and there are others uh, that are members of the family. Um, you remember Sterling W. Sill, he was a child, but his sister died. Uh, we did lose some bishops. We lost a number of Relief Society presidents. I think Relief Society presidents may have felt obligated to help nurse, and they uh, caught it often. I'm always delighted when I can find in an obituary some indication of what a Latter-day Saint was doing in the church. Somebody was a primary teacher or somebody was the secretary of the young men's organization or so on. Uh, we did lose a lot of active and contributing uh, members that way. Um, but we did not lose any general authorities or mission presidents or senior leaders in that way. We did lose the head of the Modern Languages Department at BYU. We lost a man who had been the, the uh, mayor of Provo and had also served on the Utah Constitutional Convention Committee. So we lost people who had made some real contributions in the past. We lost a pioneer of 1847. <laughs> we lost those to Utah from everywhere. There was a Russian convert. There were Dutch converts and all over Scandinavia. We had a French sister, uh, a lot of Germans, people who had come to Utah because they were LDS and they all died the same way. Let me ask you, artists, artists what, do you, what do you hope readers and your followers take away from this project? What's your hope that they get out of it? Pretty much the same as I'm getting out of it, I hope. The fact that these were individual lives that were disrupted. We can talk about however many million died and debate how many that was, but they didn't die as millions. They died one at a time. And that's what I hope people remember. Also, it's caused so many people to look through their family trees to see if they can find someone who died during those years and they've asked me to figure out if it was a flu death. They're always gonna remember the great Aunt Jane was a flu victim. And I think that's always, anything that connects us with family of the past, I think is a benefit. So what are, what are your own hopes for these remembering and retelling these in, in addition to what your followers or readers are going to take away? Are, are you going to publish this in a book or something? No, or? I, I don't know yet what I'm going to do, but I do want something a little bit more permanent than a collection of tweets. Um, yeah. I, I, but I don't know yet what that will be. The Mormon History Association is having a virtual conference this year since we could meet in Rochester, and they had me record a session about this accidental project that, that I'm doing. So that will be part of their archive, but I need to do something more that people can, can look through. And there's something when you look at the face of someone or even seeing their name on a, a gravestone when I can't always find a portrait, there's something that makes these people real to you. And so I, I need to be sure that that's preserved somehow. What are your hopes, artists, for the people of the current pandemic? Um, we've, we've seen that the University of Utah is compiling stories and pictures and of the moment. Um, 
what are your hopes for what happens given all the resources available now for remembering those that we lose now during this current pandemic? Well, I read recently about your project looking for the stories of Utahns who died. Mm -hmm. And I think that is wonderful. And I hope you get full cooperation from people. That's something that I couldn't do. And so I'm cheering you on. Thank you we for that pitch. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, we need to remember these people that we're losing now. It's not just 107,000. It's John and Susan and Fred and Laverle and whoever else. We need to know who they are and remember them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, but as Dave said, weirdly, some people don't put it in their obituaries or their death notices. And so there are some people that aren't going to be listed or known in the same way. Without uh, unless some... somebody volunteers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It'll yes. take a researcher like you to also check death certificates and all those other things too <laughs> that you try to track those down. But yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. Well, again, we remind our listeners you can find these on Artists' blog at keepapitchinin.org. Artist Partial, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate and it. Stay safe, okay? You too. And thanks to Peggy Fletcher Stack. Always a pleasure. And to our producer, Chris Samuels, we remind our listeners that they can keep up on all the happenings in and about the church by subscribing to our free weekly newsletter. Just go to sltrib.com to sign up, and we'll talk again next time on Mormon Life.